Hi, my name is Pastor Tony Garbarino of Providence Presbyterian Church. We're delighted that you tuned in to hear a message from God's Word. If you'd like to find more information about us, please go to providencefw.org, providencefw.org. We seek to be Bible-based, gospel-saturated, and Christ-centered. So please enjoy now this message. Thanks for coming. Before we hear from the Lord again, let's go to him once more in prayer. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come again before you. We give you thanks and praise for gathering us here together in the name of Christ, our Savior. And we pray, Lord, now that as we are gathered in his name, that we would listen to him speaking to us through the preaching of your word. And we pray that you would protect your servant, guard him from error, enable him to hide behind Christ and him crucified. And in the end, that through the power of your word, applied by your Holy Spirit, you would continue and conform us more and more into the image of Christ, to the glory of our triune Lord. And we pray and ask all these things in Christ's precious name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I'll be reading the first six verses. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Please give your full attention. This is the word of God. Therefore, having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give, light, give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So far, the reading of God's word, may he indeed add his blessing upon it. We saw last week, the section just prior in chapter 3, that Paul boldly claims that his message, this sweet-smelling aroma of life, the preaching of the gospel which brings life, it is there where life is found and there alone. Uh, the Old Covenant was temporary and brought condemnation and therefore death because of man's sinfulness. And this, of course, would have been shocking to his readers, particularly his antagonists, those who were against him at Corinth. Um, and it is to many now as well, when we hear these stark words, particularly in chapter 3, leading into our section. As you know, therefore, that's one of those conclusion indicators. As Paul's been saying something. Then he brings, brings it to a head in the therefore in what follows. And Paul explains, as we read through this first, uh, these first chapters in 2 Corinthians, that the new covenant, the gospel of God's free grace, is not, cannot be mixed with anything. Not even that temporary system set up in the old covenant in redemptive history. Right? One of my professors likes to use the term, if there's no gospel, right? you can't mix the two together. They do not mix. There's gospel and there is law. No gospel. Um, and it makes a good point, right? And Paul goes on to elaborate and defend his message and his ministry 
here in chapter 4, after all he's been saying. And we see, as we work through verses 1 to 6, that because of the gospel, God's people indeed can have courage in all things. We can have courage and not lose heart. Most of us could stand, I would imagine you would agree with me, uh, a news fast, a fast from the news, or a fast from social media, or all the internet and the constant bombardment of information. This would be a very healthy thing for most of us. But even in small doses, we can look at the news and be very disheartened. We can feel like throwing in the towel and just giving up. We see what's going on in our world, our country, our culture, uh, and even in our own families. Right? We have drama and stresses, and it can make us want to just throw in the towel. Even in our own hearts, in our own lives, it's easy to be discouraged and dejected and downcast at our own sin, the reality of the remaining sin within us, and we can feel like giving up and giving in. Well, if you're like me and you feel like this at times, please hear God's word for you this morning, dear Christian. Please listen to what the Lord has to tell us. Because we see here again that God has recreated you as a believer. He's given you new life. And therefore, despite all of those things and anything, you can have courage. You can move on in courage and not lose heart because of the gospel, because of who you are. right? And so how is it that we can have courage in all things? How does this work? How do we see this here in, in chapter 4? Well, we see you have an outline in the back of your bulletin. We see first uh, the gospel's benefits. At the gospel's benefits, and then the unbeliever's blindness. And then in verses 5 and 6, the Lord's beauty. The Lord's beauty. So let's work through the text and see God's glory and your life here from this text. First, we see Paul as he continues where we left off, uh, really in the same thought and in the same uh, theme, as I said. And he begins, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Right? And again, this ministry he refers to, he's looking back to his earlier comments about the new covenant ministry and it's being superior. He's been a recipient of this divine mercy. And he also looks ahead. Right? He looks ahead in the future. And he can say to his opponents and his readers that he is full of hope and full of joy because of that ministry that he references. Paul has received from the Lord the ministry of the gospel. And on that grounding, he can say that he does not lose hope in preaching the good news and in teaching the people about this gospel, about this Jesus. Paul sees his calling, the ministry, and the God who called him as glorious and powerful. It's a powerful declaration of God's grace and mercy to the people of God, indeed to the world. And we'll see throughout the book, and really in the New Testament, on the whole, that it's in this immediate context, not the New Testament as a whole, but very often in the New Testament, there are places that the immediate context that the epistles speak of are about the ministry or ministers of the glorious and powerful gospel. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. But we can never think of this only as application for having applications for ministers. right? It's like the, the, the qualifications for elders that we read about in Scripture. You're familiar with these. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, and in Titus 1, it talks about the qualifications, the character of what a minister should be, or what an elder should be. But when we read those things, we can't isolate them, those qualities, only to elders in the church. Right? These, things are, these are things that, are, that all Christians should reflect, and they should grow into as the Lord works in them. Right? And we can ask the simple question that proves that. 
should only elders be sober-minded? Should only elders be self-controlled and respectable and not drunkards and not violent? Of course not. These are things that all the people of God should begin to grow to and reflect more and more. They have extension to all those who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit who works in them to change them. And we can look back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and we remember what he said there. Uh, Paul said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Right? And so he says, follow me as I follow King Jesus. We all partake of the ministry, right? small m, the ministry of that glorious gospel as we live out its truths. As those who've been radically changed by it, as those who, who, who've, uh, who forgive, who endure, who love when hated, and on and on. As we speak it forth to others, and as we answer when we are asked, what's with you, right? What's with you? How can you be so calm and have peace in all these things that are going on at work or at home or in the world? Or that question, I pray that you've been asked at some point, what is the gospel anyway? Right? You answer that question, and you are taking part in this glorious gospel ministry. And you can say to them, well, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you. Right? And so it's not a word only for ministers here in chapter 4. It's what I'm getting at. Um, but for all who hear the gospel preached, and all who preach that same gospel to their own hearts as well. The God who calls is glorious. And the gospel is a powerful and glorious declaration of God's mercy and grace. It's powerful for God's people in all of our weaknesses, in our deepest and saddest times. And it's the only, it's, it's the one, one of the benefits of the gospel, right, is that in verse 1 there, the first part, that we have received mercy. Right? We have received mercy. It's one of the gospel benefits. And it is that mercy that God gives to overcome our spiritual exhaustion. And even here in this context, in Paul, and it enables Paul and us to press on, to continue on. And he says, because we have this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. I've already alluded to what that means. But what it means is to be discouraged, to be in despair, to become weary. It refers to abandoning yourself over to cowardice surrender in some contexts as we look at the language of what it was used in the first century. And this is certainly not Paul's response to the, uh, the attacks that he faced that were leveled against him. He was not discouraged. He was not weary. He was not in despair in regard to what he standed on and stood for in the message and his ministry of the gospel. Right? That glorious task of ministering the new covenant was too glorious to lose heart over. Because God had called him to that task, ministering the new covenant. Right? Paul couldn't abandon his calling to be discouraged in it. Rather, he is strengthened by it. Again, not because of himself, because of the God who called him, and because of the message that it contained. And this is true for you as well, brothers and sisters. When you're discouraged, when you're down, when you're weak, when you're depressed, look to the fact Right, that you've received from God his glorious, life-giving mercy. Right? His mercy you have received. You've not received condemnation and judgment, right? what our sins deserved. But mercy. We've received mercy. And that is no small thing, brothers and sisters. It is the mercy of God. Right? You and I were part of the culture, part of the world, part of the lost, those who are at war with God and rebellion against God. But you have received mercy. Mercy. 
You have received mercy, and that should give you courage and help you to not lose heart. Right? Maybe you were raised in a Christian family, right? a faithful covenant home. Well, that too is a mercy from God. Right? And you too must come to embrace the gospel for yourselves if you have not. It not, can't just be your parents' faith. Right? It must be your faith. And in God's mercy, even as you have grown up potentially in one of these families, you have had the blessing of, of that very thing, being raised and reared in God's covenant family at home and at church. And that is no small thing. Right? It is so important. It is a blessing. And we need to embrace our Savior. We need to praise King Jesus. Uh, for all of us who are united to him, that glorious, surpassing new covenant that Paul gushed about at the end of chapter 3, that's yours. You're a part of that. That's a glorious thing. You belong to that permanent, never-fading glory forever. So do not lose heart. We do not lose heart, brothers and sisters. And so first, we can have courage in all things because of the gospel benefit of received mercy. And then we read on in verse 2. It says, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word. But by an open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Right? That's the next benefit, right? It's that we have renounced disgraceful ways, right? enabled by God, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, changed, given a new heart. We renounce those things. And that simply means to dis disown or disavow or to reject or to denounce those things. Disgraceful, underhanded ways. Right? This is a reference to hidden, secret things, things hidden because of shame. The phrase refers to uh, secret immoralities, sins hidden deep in the darkness of a person's life. And as we read Scripture, and we learn and we grow, we see that when a sinner comes to Christ, there is both faith and repentance. Right? Faith and repentance. And repentance is part and parcel of what it is to be a Christian. Right? In fact, you may recall those 95 theses that the great reformer Martin Luther posted to the door at Wittenberg, Wittenberg uh, disputing the Roman Catholic practice of his day uh, that were so instrumental in lighting ablaze the Protestant Reformation. It began with this line. This was the first thing that he protested, that he, uh, that he wrote against. He said, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Right? The Christian life is a life of repentance. Faith and repentance, not merely at the start of our Christian life, but for all of our lives. Lives of repentance as we exercise faith and we repent, and he grows us more and more into the image his son, Jesus Christ. And so we've probably all heard uh, snide, trite things that, can, that, that, that contradict with, the, with this, this kind of thing. Right? You've probably all heard things like, well, I'll sin now and I'll ask God's forgiveness later. Right? Maybe not in person, but perhaps you've read something like that. That is not the expression of a sinner who's been saved by grace and united to Jesus Christ. It's someone who's playing around and still engaged in self-worship. It's someone playing games with God, not taking seriously the God of the universe who created them. For the Christian, there is a turning away from sin and a turning towards God and His ways, a devotion of life in the pursuit of godliness. And along with that goes a true repulsion for sin. 
a true repulsion for sin because it is offensive to God. Right? Are you repulsed by your sin? Right? Are you horrified by your own sin? It's an offense against God, and we all should be, because it is against His desire and His design for His people, and it is contrary to His character. And so Paul goes on, we refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word, right? That word cunning is an interesting word. It means using deception or trickery or craftiness. Uh, we, see, we saw this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where he says, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God, for it is written, He is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. Right? That's the same word. Or in Ephesians 4, it says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Right? Cunning, deception. This is the kind of trickery and behavior attributed to the devil. Right? We see this in 2 Corinthians 11, as we'll see in, uh, when we get there. But it's this kind of quality exhibited by Satan when he beguiles Eve. In 2 Corinthians 11 says this, uh, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts may be led astray from sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Cunning, right? Cunning. Refuse cunning and tampering with God's word. Uh, this same word is like the action of the Jews when they tried to trap Jesus, you remember in Luke chapter 20. And they said, whose inscription is on this coin? Do we give tribute to Caesar? Right? And Luke says what? He says, but he, Jesus, perceived their craftiness, their cunning, their trickery, their duplicity, their deceit. It's the same word. And so Paul's saying here in uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, we refuse to practice cunning. Right? Uh, and all these actions and cunning that Paul renounces and refuse is what he's talking about here. And he says, we refuse to practice cunning, or tamper with God's word, right? And that word tamper is another interesting word. Uh, it means to adulterate, to distort, to falsify. This was a word used in the deceptive business practice of the time where they would distill wine with water. They would water it down, right? Tamper, adulterate, falsify. And so in this context, Paul is talking about a watering down, adulterating the word of God. The false teachers accused Paul of being a deceiver, of being crafty, of twisting and perverting the teaching of the Old Testament. Right? Today we would call that projecting. Right? That's exactly what they were doing. And isn't that a common problem? As we read through the New Testament, we encounter this again and again. Those who insist that we must hold on to and adhere to the Mosaic Law in order to be justified. Right? You can't be right before God unless you keep the law, unless you are circumcised, unless you keep the dietary restrictions, and on and on. We see this in Galatians. We see it in Hebrews. We see it here in 2 Corinthians as well. Paul had just laid out the case of the distinction between the glory, the fading, ending glory of the Old Covenant and the surpassing, permanent, superior uh, glory of the New. And he refuses to require Gentile believers to take on that Mosaic Covenant. And this freaked them out, so many of them. And what they're saying is that Paul had willfully distorted the gospel. Again, the very thing that they were doing. This sounds like something we can read in every generation of the church. This, crop, this, this seeks to creep back in. 
Right? You can't do away with the law. People will go crazy. They'll be undone with licentiousness and immorality and sin. The law must remain a burden and a weight to control them. This, of course, is the very thing that Martin Luther and those of his day were being told by the medieval church at the time. The people will go crazy if you tell them they're free in grace. But how did the reformers respond? You remember? It's the same way we should respond. We trust the Spirit more than we fear man's sin. We trust the power of the Spirit more than we fear man's sin. And we're not going to lie to people out of fear. And the fact is, according to Paul, the law and the gospel, again, they cannot be mixed in any way. Right? No gospel. It's gospel. What does the Spirit tell us in Romans chapter 11? Remember, he says, it, it's, uh, Paul is speaking of the chosen race, of uh, those chosen by grace, and he says, if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Right? It's very simple. No gospel. It's gospel or law. And so Paul says, on the contrary, back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, verse 2, he says, we refuse to tamper with God's word. But by an open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And so Paul here gives the contrast. Right? Not tampering with, but the manifestation of the truth. Not watering down, but a clear declaration of the word of God in all of its purity and clarity. Instead of cunning and secrecy and distortion, we declare the word of God, he says, purely and openly. And notice the truth, again, it's important to see there. It's not merely a moral integrity or a general truth, but it's the revealed truth. It's the word of God that he's speaking of there. And unlike the false teachers, Paul relied simply on the manifestation of the truth. And he knew that the truth had such a self-evidencing power, right? That even where it was rejected and hated, it commended itself to the conscience as true. Right? Because it is true. And the Holy Spirit goes with it, bringing life or death. And even, right, even not just by preachers, but by you all. When you speak the truth of the Bible, the truth as God had revealed it, you, because of it, commend yourselves to the consciences of men. Remember in Romans chapter 1, Paul tells us that there are no real atheists. There are no real atheists. Right? He says, for although they knew, speaking of sinful, rebellious man, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And then, as he goes on, after this most terrifying, long description of sinful man in his rebellion and suppression of the truth, he says this in Romans 1.32, Though they know God's decree, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. That's terrifying. And to that thing we should all, that, that, that truth we should all shudder. All know the God they reject because they are God-created people in a God-created universe, breathing God-created air, everywhere encountering the reality of the Lord who made them, yet rejecting Him in hatred. 
Nevertheless, they know God's demand and His claim on their lives. They know God's truth and it condemns and convicts them. How many in our day distort the gospel to try to wiggle away from those severe realities? How many make it up to suit their own desires? How many add to the gospel, even the law? We all, brothers and sisters, used to, to one extent or another, do this, twist the truth. But praise be to God, we do so no more. We surrender to His, his word because we give new hearts to do so and bow the knee, uh, that most difficult calisthenic to any sinful human being with an unchanged heart and be indeed impossible, bending the knee to Jesus. Go therefore in boldness and live fearlessly in the truth, right? Is it therefore we can draw from that? So why can we have courage in all things? It's because we have received mercy and we have renounced deceit in the distortion of the gospel truth. That's another one of the gospel benefits. Renunciation of deceit, deceptiveness, cunningness, tampering with God's word. Then as Paul goes on in verse 3, he moves into this next section, and we see Paul address the unbeliever's blindness. The unbeliever's blindness. And he says that the message of the gospel is veiled to those who are perishing. There's so much in these verses that we could dig into But for this morning, let's just notice that in this text, the Holy Spirit is telling us uh, a very clear thing. He's describing, in various ways, the non-believer, right? Those who are veiled, perishing, blinded, unbelievers, right? These are all synonyms. He's all talking about the same thing. Those who are without faith, those who are dead in their sins, those who reject the Messiah. Many in Corinth used to accept... Uh, refused, rather, to accept the gospel. And so for them, it remained veiled. It remained veiled, Paul told us at the end of chapter 3. And the cause of this veiling is not the gospel itself, which is sufficiently clear. It's not Christ himself, but it's the hearers who rejected Christ's messages, uh, uh, messenger and message. Paul's opponents and their followers publicly rejected the teaching of this gospel. For them, the gospel is veiled. They are blind. They are incapable of seeing spiritual light. They are blinded by that most glorious of all things, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. This is the meat of Paul's message here. This is it. And he emphasizes again that he's not preaching himself, but Jesus as Lord. Right? Jesus as Lord. Jesus is God. He is Lord. He is the image of God. All these are references to His deity. The deity of Christ. And this gets us to the final point this morning. And that is the Lord's beauty. The Lord's beauty. Listen to verse uh, 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. See how Paul closes this passage. He takes the roof off and he declares to all of us just who it is that he's talking about and just what God has done. Notice the themes again here. Glorious, rich, mind-boggling. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Wow, what a mouthful. Right? What an amazing, full, pregnant, rich sentence. Of course, the beginning of that sentence is an obvious reference to the work of creation in Genesis. 
right? God who said, let life, let light shine out of darkness. Right? And remember originally, darkness brooded over the face of the deep, over the chaos waters, until God said, let there be light. And there was light. In a similar way, spiritual darkness broods over people's hearts until God shines into their hearts. He says, let there be life. And there is life. The same God who created physical light in the universe must create supernatural light in the soul and move people from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of His glorious light. The light is expressed as the knowledge of the glory of God. It is the glory of God revealed in Jesus Christ that the illumination of the Holy Spirit enables people to see. In our New Testament reading, verse 18, it says, No one has ever seen, ever seen God. The only God is that the Father's sight has made Him known. And quite literally what that says is, has exegeted Him. Right? It's Jesus who exegetes the Father, makes Him known. And it is this great Creator who has given you life. It's the one who's given you eyes to see, given you hearts to love, remove the veil from your eyes. This is your life. So why can we have courage and not lose heart in all things? Because God has shown into your hearts to give you the light of the knowledge of the glory of God of the face of Jesus Christ. And in this you have been given God's plan his sovereignty, his security, his promise that he's working out in your life, that he is in control as he was at the creation of the universe, as he was at making you new, a new creation in Christ. God has recreated you. He's given you new life, and therefore you can press on and take courage and not lose heart in Christ, even amidst all of the struggles of this life, large and small. Know, trust, and believe. It is God who makes the difference between the veiled and the unveiled. And his promise is that he takes away the veil and gives life and light and sight and security for his people. It is God who is working out his sovereign, perfect plan. He is in control. Even though it, it is difficult and painful and seemingly hopeless at times, do not give up, dear Christian. Do not give in to despair. Do not throw in the towel. Keep gazing upon your King. Keep feeding upon Jesus. Keep communing with Christ, your Lord and Savior. When you do so, He moves you on from strength to strength in His might. Because it is this King and Savior and Lord who has given life and He's promised to grow and transform you and to keep you until the end. Look to Him again and again and again. He will never cast you out. Rather, He will refresh you. He will sustain you. And ultimately, He will wipe away every tear. He will feed you. Even now, Lord's Day by Lord's Day, with His Word and Sacrament, even with Himself, and ultimately, with the choicest, rich banquet in glory. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your love and mercy towards us. Pray that you would continue to grow us, Lord, give us uh, an, an ever-increasing reliance upon you as you strip away from us all of our self-reliances. Lord, help us to see how feeble we are in ourselves, 
but how powerful you are. And that in you is all the strength that we will ever need. Lord, help us to avail ourselves to that strength, even in our weakness. Lord, we pray that you would be glorified even in those things and all that we do. Continue to be with us, we pray now. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, thank you for tuning in this morning. Uh, if you'd like more information uh, about Providence, if you're in the greater Fort Wayne area and would like to visit us, please go to our website, providencefortwayne.org. If you'd like to give, if you were blessed by this message, if you'd like to have more information about the faith or about growing in your faith, uh, we'd love for you to get connected with us. Thank you. We've set up a simple way for you to give to our church online. If you want to give a quick gift, enter an amount, select a fund, then enter your email address and your first and last name. Then enter your payment details and click Give. And that's it. We'll send a receipt to your email address. To use a saved payment method or manage a recurring donation, you'll want to log in. Click the Login button and we'll send a code to your phone or email account. Verify the code and you're in. Now your payment info is ready to go when you want to make a donation. To manage your giving details, switch over to the My Giving page. Here you'll see more ways you can give. You can also add a payment method, like a bank account or a debit card, set up a recurring donation, and view your giving history. To get started, visit our website or download the Church Center app in your Android or Apple App Store.